Welcome to the GUT Podcast on the recent advances in clinical practice paper, timing of energy intake and the therapeutic potential of intermittent fasting and time-restricting eating in NAFLT, published in paper copy in GUT in August 2023. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Digital and Education Editor of GUT and Honorary Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Thomas Margeau, Hepatology Registrar at the Oxford Liver Unit in Oxford University Hospitals, and also a Wellcome Trust Clinical Research Training Fellow at the University of Oxford, based at the Oxford Centre for Diabetes, Endocrinology and Metabolism in the UK. Dr. Maggio is the first author on this excellent paper. Dr. Maggio, thank you so much for joining me to do this podcast and congratulations on doing this excellent paper to you and your co-authors. Firstly, could I ask you to outline what your paper covers and why researching this area is important? Thanks, Phil, and thanks to GUT for the opportunity to talk about our work in an area of science and clinical practice, which I think is, a, is really interesting and really important, but is perhaps under-recognized. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which has recently been renamed as metabolic dysfunction-associated steatotic liver disease, represents a major public health concern, affecting approximately one quarter of the global adult population and is very closely associated with the epidemic of type 2 diabetes and obesity. And as many of the readers and followers of GUT will know, a proportion of patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease will progress to hepatic inflammation and fibrosis, which confers an elevated risk of both liver and cardiovascular-related morbidity and mortality. Now, traditionally, there's been a major focus on what we eat, being a key risk factor for NAFLD and metabolic disease, such as excess calories, high fructose consumption, diets enriched with ultra-processed foods, etc. But increasingly, the field is recognising that when we eat is also really important. So our review in gut covers three major areas. Firstly, we discuss all the data about timing of energy intake across the day and the relative risks of different eating patterns in the development and progression of steatotic liver disease. Secondly, we discuss the science behind food timing and metabolic disease with a specific focus on how mistimed eating can lead to disruption and misalignment of natural circadian rhythms. And lastly, we talk about how manipulating the timing of energy can improve liver and metabolic outcomes. And we highlight two key dietary strategies, intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. Thank you, Dr. Maggio. That's very, very clear and helpful as, a, uh, as an overview. So what are the major findings your paper has highlighted? So firstly, when are the good and bad times to eat and why? So the link between temporal eating habits and human disease is very likely to be mediated through disruption to circadian rhythms. The circadian clock network is coordinated by a central clock which sits in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus, and this communicates via neuroendocrine signals with a number of peripheral clocks, including the liver. At a cellular level, 
all clocks are governed by the same transcriptional translational feedback loop of clock genes, leading to periodic regulation of multiple facets of liver metabolism, including glucose uptake, gluconeogenesis, lipogenesis, and bile acid synthesis. Now, whilst the central pacemaker in the brain is predominantly influenced by the light-dark cycle, the liver clock is exquisitely sensitive to feeding patterns. And indeed, the circadian phase of the liver specifically can be directly influenced by feeding independently of light-dark signaling. And this is why mistimed eating is so important to consider because it disrupts the liver clock and leads to metabolic dysfunction. And that's why nocturnal snacking and nighttime eating is significantly associated with the development of obesity, type 2 diabetes, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We also know that people are naturally slightly more insulin resistant in the evening compared to the morning, which means that they find it harder to handle large glucose and lipid loads if you have a large dinner. In fact, there is really good evidence showing that if we move our calorie intake away from the end of the day and towards the beginning of the day, then this can have a beneficial impact on the liver and improve weight loss. This is also why the traditional mantra that breakfast is the most important meal of the day holds true. People who eat a large breakfast have better satiety hormone profiles throughout the rest of the day and have better glycemic responses to subsequent meals. So for example, if you have a large breakfast, then your insulin and glucose response after lunch is markedly improved. Wow, I, I remember my parents telling me that all that age uh, plenty of time. So I'm interested to see that it does have some basis behind it. So thank you for that. You mentioned that nighttime eating is associated with an increased risk of NAFLT and metabolic disease. So how does this actually affect people who work night shifts? And I include doctors and nurses in that, of course. Yeah, it's a really, really important point. So 20% of the Western population are now engaged in some form of night shift working patterns. Uh, and many of cl clinicians, nurses, healthcare professionals in the audience will know that your eating patterns are completely all over the place during a set of nights. And this markedly contributes to circadian misalignment. And we know that night shift workers are at significant increased risk of obesity, diabetes and dyslipidemia. And more broadly, modern society is just not conducive to healthy circadian rhythms with so much artificial light around, lots of phone screens, 24-hour availability of food and an increasing burden of shift work in the, in the population. But timing food intake may be something we can control in order to try and maintain circadian rhythms and synchronize behavior and physiology across the day. Absolutely. It sounds very important in that regard. So um, how might all of this work impact on clinical practice, therefore, in the foreseeable future? Well, based on all of this basic and preliminary data, two key dietary timing strategies have emerged as candidates for the prevention and treatment of NAFLD and metabolic dysfunction. And these are intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. So intermittent fasting is where caloric intake is severely constrained for short periods. The two most popular strategies in humans are the firstly the so-called 5-2 diet, where fasting occurs on two non-consecutive days a week. And then the second strategy is, is the alternate day fasting regimen, which involves one day eating, one day fasting, one day eating, one day fasting, and so on. 
And now there's something about fasting that triggers widespread protective metabolic pathways. And we've known this for a long time because even with primitive and single cell organisms, they live significantly longer under nutrient scarce conditions. And we've also got some important clinical insights from Ramadan, which offers us a real world opportunity to explore the physiological impact of fasting. Interestingly, despite Ramadan in many ways exemplifying unnatural eating patterns by shifting energy intake to occur before dawn and after dusk, it is associated with weight loss, improved glycemic control, reduced hepatic steatosis and improved liver biochemistry. So there's something about the fasting component of Ramadan which is beneficial. And that's why several randomized trials have shown that intermittent fasting protocols can lead to over 5% weight loss, reduce hepatic steatosis, and improve lipid profiles in patients with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And these changes appear superior to standard dietary and weight loss advice. The second major dietary strategy is something called time-restricted eating, which limits the window of energy intake to between six and 10 hours per day with only water or zero calorie beverages permitted for the remainder of the day. And this strategy does two things. It involves a period of fasting, which we've already discussed is a good thing, but it may also have an added benefit by using food intake as a clear circadian cue to the liver and other metabolic organs. Now, particularly early time-restricted feeding, where calories are typically consumed between eight in the morning and two in the afternoon, this seems able to reprogram the circadian clock in muscle, adipose tissue, and the liver, and is associated with improved metabolic health. And this includes trials showing that early time-restricted feeding leads to significant reductions in body weight and intrahepatic triglyceride content. Time-restricted eating may also be better tolerated than intermittent fasting and continuous energy restriction because it allows patients to simply watch the clock rather than meticulously calculate their ongoing calorie consumption. Lastly, there's some really promising data emerging which suggests that time-restricted eating may be able to improve metabolic health and liver health in night shift workers. Wow, that's really all very, very interesting. Um, so how might this work impact on research priorities in the foreseeable future? Well, to, to my mind, temporal eating patterns, liver homeostasis, circadian clock function, and metabolic health are all intrinsically linked. So there's a real biological rationale to further explore the efficacy of time-restricted eating in the treatment of NAFLD. There are lots of randomized trials that are currently underway, which include a range of sample sizes and all have variable intervention timeframes and calorie thresholds. But it's going to be fascinating to see to what extent the, these protocols can improve liver specific parameters and to try and tease out mechanisms by evaluating the impact of these dietary strategies on circadian rhythms, sleep, systemic inflammation, and the gut microbiome. And hopefully as these data come through, we will continue to see a greater emphasis within clinical practice on the role of food timing in NAFLD and to recognize the therapeutic potential of manipulating eating schedules to improve liver and metabolic health. Fantastic. That was really, really interesting. And I really enjoyed listening to you. Thank you, Dr. Marjo, for doing this podcast today. And once again, congratulations to you and to your co-authors on this fantastic paper being published in gut listeners i hope you enjoyed that i certainly enjoyed listening to dr margeau and uh, i think the paper is well worth reading 
So do click on the link underneath this podcast to read that paper in full. Obviously, as you know, we run our podcast on a monthly basis, so we uh, would like to uh, continue to invite you to join us to listen to further good podcasts in the future. Thank you very much for listening.